Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, I am so excited about this episode, we're going to discuss Starlink, a new internet service for the entire globe to take advantage of. If you're sick and tired of only having one ISP, you do not want to miss this discussion. Even if you're not sick and tired of having one ISP, you're still not going to want to miss this discussion. Then we head to Camera Corner, where Wendy takes us through the camera menu, the most elusive of all menus. As I found out personally, it's almost as bad as the old VCR menus you used to have to go through, at least my experience with camera menus. But Wendy's going to clear that up for us. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what if you... Oh my gosh, I just saw your notes in here, and I'm so disappointed you put this <laughs> as your heart. I, I don't even know what to say. I, I like that you put LOL joke. after yeah. it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was laughing before, just typing it. I was like... I'm I need to express how funny this is. Uh, we don't have to put it in the show. You can edit it out if you want no, to. No, no. This is going <laughs> in, buddy. I was just going to say that I don't have any tech hardware, but I got an ex exercise equipment hardware. Uh -huh. So uh, it's an elliptical that is in my office, and I used it today and yesterday. So I'm like what a kind pro of now. aspect ratio does your exercise equipment have on its digital <laughs> screen? Uh, I don't know. It does have a digital screen. That is wow. true. I think it's Man. like I think it's like one inch by one inch, but I don't know. <laughs> you have the audacity to come to this show, Hardware Addicts, <laughs> and bring up an well, elliptical. Okay, you, what the See, heck do we do fair. about this? If he gets to talk <laughs> to about fair. workout equipment as his new hardware, does that mean when I get new piercings, <laughs> I get to talk about my new hardware? No, this is not <laughs> no. destination get ripped. This is not destination <laughs> tattoo shop. No, 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 no. See, the the Pierce the, this does have hardware computer stuff attached to it. It does have an LCD screen, so there's sort of hardware a little bit, kinda. But uh -huh. the did you reason... hook a Raspberry Pi to it? Did you speed it up with the no, Raspberry Pi? He not at all. It's just to it and controls it with his desktop, <laughs> so it's going while he's sitting on his stool. The reason I brought it up is just one to because it's funny, and two because it does connect to yours. So that's really why. Wow, it, it does kind of. But before we get into mine, I've got to find out, Wendy. Please save this show. Is do you have something hardware related that's not a piercing and or workout <laughs> I equipment? I do. I do. I was at my local pawn shop looking for computers for the kids. And most of the time around here, used hardware has just been absolutely ridiculously crazy in price. And if you listen to the latest version or episode 45 of DLN Extend, you'll get the full nitty gritty of me buying this Microsoft Surface Pro 6 used, got an amazing deal on it, We've now been using it for about a week. And I have to say, while I'm not a really big Microsoft software fan, I have loved this little Surface Pro. Actually, it's not that little, but as far as size-wise, it's really light. It's really easy to pack around. The kids have been using it for all different kinds of school stuff. One of the first things that happened when I brought it home was, of course, Manjaro was installed. Naturally. And then I had to install the specialty kernel because it is a Microsoft device, even though the other touch laptop that I picked up just before that worked just fine on Manjaro and instantly had touch surface device needed a specialty kernel. It really wasn't that hard to get it installed and it's been running great. Would I buy this laptop full price? No, but I'm loving it used. It's got eight gigs of RAM, an eighth generation i5. As far as a day-to-day -day kids getting schoolwork done and maybe a little drawing on it, it's been a great device. I have always been blown away by Microsoft's 
hardware that they put out there under the Surface name. They use uh, magnesium alloy, I believe, for most of the frames on these, so they feel Solid. absolutely premium. They're they're beautiful to hold in your hand. The built-in stands that they have is ingenious. I don't know about the six necessarily, but a lot of them. I, I think the six does too. The micro SD card in yep. the back underneath the stand. A lot of people actually don't realize it's there, but most of them have that micro SD card reader, so you can expand its storage. Mine's actually through that, on the which side I thought was and not always very clever. Underneath the underneath the yeah. stand. Okay. And they also used a three to two aspect ratio in the surface line, which I also thought was awesome. So the screens look beautiful, 2736 by 1824, 267 PPI on these. So just a gorgeous full color screen. What do you think about the screen quality as far as if you were to work on photography and things? I think it would it? be an awesome little device to take with you to do some basic stuff. I don't know that I would want to do color work directly on it. And that's just because the light around you can change the way certain colors look, even coming from a screen. And I like to do all of that on just the desktop. But if I was taking an image and blending them together, or doing some drawing or that kind of stuff on it, absolutely. Yeah, and so take note, it's only... 0.33 inches thick. But yet, take note, all the laptop manufacturers out there and some of the listeners who like to say, well, you know, putting in good speakers is really tough in some of these laptops, even though a lot of companies like Apple are able to do it. Microsoft Surface also 1.6 watt stereo speakers with Dolby Audio built in to this little bitty tiny frame. So you can put premium speakers in this thing. They can do it here. You can do it on your big thick laptops as well. It's also compatible with the Surface Dial, which I don't know if you've ever played with no. that, but this was a really cool little device you stick on the screen. And the Surface Dial allows you to, I don't know, it's like a hockey puck almost that you put on the screen and you can turn it and manipulate for while you're drawing on the device, changing colors and everything else on it. A lot of artists really like it. Uh, very cool technology. So something to check out there. That's awesome. I love the Surface lineup. My only issue with them is repairability. Although better better than most Apple products, something does go wrong. Uh, they're a little bit of a pain to get in and change anything. But considering how thin it is and portable it is, it's almost The exclusive. lightness and the thinness is definitely one of the reasons that brought me over to this device. We have some older, larger machines that the kids have been using for school. And I've got a full-size laptop that's got a decent amount of power. The problem is it's hard for them to pack around the house to do different school things in different parts. Or my daughter had reached the point where she was taking classes outside the house that needed more nose, that it would be nice to have a small laptop to pack around with her. I really didn't want a Chromebook. If I'm going with an ARM device, I'd rather it be a phone or a tablet or something that had more usability, I guess, than a Chromebook. Because there are some laptops coming out that do have those ARM chips in them. But yeah. Well, you, you get so much more out of the device you have than you would ever get out of a Chromebook. Yeah. So the, definitely the right choice Yeah, absolutely. There. And like I said, I got this on a killer deal. So it's been worth every single penny. And you can install the operating system you want on it. That's what I really like about the Pro line. So they give you Microsoft and Windows installed, uh, which is really nice of them to give you an operating system so that you can boot up and download Linux and then erase it and put Linux on. Absolutely. Be. The best thing is I already had a USB ready to go. So we got home and bam, Linux was on it. So I'm just blown away by the sit-stand desk that Michael recommended. It's by Autonomous, and I've been using it for over a week now, and it's changed everything with how I work and really, my honestly, my fitness level as well, because instead of sitting all day long on conference calls, I'm able to stand. In fact, I haven't put it in the sitting position since I've owned it. Although it's super simple to do so because it's simply a digital pad you and it has memory for presets that you want, 
but I've just found it that I'm pacing more, I'm walking more throughout the day as I'm working, and my focus and attention is so is just lasered in in comparison to sitting. You know, once you start getting past the lunch hour and you're still sitting on these calls, in my case, a lot of times after six o'clock, eight o'clock, ten o'clock, it still be sitting on calls. The sitting part really starts to take a toll. And while I have a wireless headset and would get up randomly throughout the day and walk around and pace and things, it was more of a conscious thought to do so. Whereas with the standing desk, it's something that you're just kind of doing naturally, right? Your your feet start to get a little tired as you're standing there. So you just start walking and pacing and things like that. The activity, which I track on my Apple Watch, has just gone through the roof since I've gotten this standing desk. And to the point where I've recommended it to all the employees that work with me to go and get one of these. Now, there are a lot of different brands out there, but Autonomous is the one Michael bought. So that's the one I got. It's so good. I got it for my work section where I work in this office that I'm doing this podcast in. But I also just ordered the L-shaped version for podcasting and for my regular uh, computer PlayStation area because I just want these everywhere. I just think they're absolutely amazing and productive and everything. So I'm just so enthused about this to the point where until Michael came with the elliptical to the show, I was almost ready to raise him from a Padawan, but he's not whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I, that, that, that was just, that was a joke. That's, that, also, you can, you can have it at the full standing desk and use it at there and you can still use the elliptical while also watching some movies or whatever. So in a way, it's actually a combination thing that means you're not super bored uh, on the elliptical. So there you is imagine that how benefit. if you accidentally turned on your camera on a conference call and you're on there on an elliptical trying to like inspire your team? Wait, like wait. all leadership credibility goes out the door. Everyone well, just laughs at you and is like, that explains so much because it wasn't accidental. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though. This the the it's called the smart desk. We have a link in the show notes. That's it's an affiliate link. So just to let you know, we there will be a small commission for the show if you do decide to try it and get that use that link. So please do. Uh, it's destinationlinux.network/smartdesk. Uh, the 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 desk is called a smart desk. Uh, there's multiple different versions of it, but the the thing that's really cool is that they have the L shape if you want that, and they have the uh, gigantic desk like I got. Uh, but it's it's what you were saying about the Standing and b- just being more comfortable, it actually will help your back because you know standing is the most is the most natural state for your back in that sense because you don't have to worry about leaning too far back or too far forward and all that stuff because you're just going to naturally stand as you would and it is very very valuable to the point where uh, it's easy to know when you need to sit down because your feet tell you. But for remembering to stand up that there is kind of a, you know, sometimes you can get like a, an alarm on your phone or whatever. But just being able to hit the button and go is so awesome because you can, you, what's really cool about this desk is it's pretty cheap for what it is in terms of expense, not in terms of quality. It's made by like, you know, it's metals or steel uh, parts and stuff like that. So it's not like a, tre- a cheap desk, but it's very inexpensive. And it also comes with programmable keyboard, which is the reason I got this desk. Like I, I kind of like when I originally got this desk, it was like the first few months that this company even existed. And I just risked it and I was like, you know what, I'm going to get it. And that was like 2016 or something. And I've had it since then. And it has been great all the time, the entire time. And I have never regretted this, this purchase. I, I love this desk because it is so it's so good. By the way, we reached out to them for an affiliate link. So this is not like an ad where we're like trying to right. get you to go click on the thing. We reached out to them because we just fallen in love with this product. Michael first, yeah. of course. But then when I got it, it, it's just it really is a high quality. I've owned a lot of expensive desks. You know, I've spent good money because I worked from home for so many years, wanted a really nice desk. So I've spoiled myself on desks before. I've never had a desk this well built solid steel frame. I think it can lift over 330 pounds with the motors. That's how big of the motors, you know, quality of the motors that they put into these things. It's just, it's really well done. Yeah. And the fact I'm that they also give jealous. you like a dual motor now, it's, it's actually not that expensive. I think it's like $300 or something. So at the, when you get to like the base level, something like that, I don't, I got the higher yet, though, level but- and you guys do. It's not for me. 
a remind myself to stand up. It's, oh my gosh, I am <laughs> so tired of sitting here that I need to go move. Yeah. And then I have a hard time coming back to the desk. So there's times that it takes me way longer to finish editing a podcast mm-hmm. because, oh my gosh, I don't want to go sit down again. Look, we're all geeks. We sit too much. And this mm-hmm. is one way to work around that. So definitely go check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. This episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service with a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting for you. It has support for many programming languages such as Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby. Plus, it has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. It also offers high scalability and zero infrastructure management. What does that mean? Well, you simply point your GitHub repository or your GitLab repository and you let it do the infrastructure like app runtimes, dependencies, all that sort of stuff. So you just push code to production in just a few clicks. And because you can run this this code with little to no customization, the app platform uses cloud-native standards and automatically analyzes your code, creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free. You can go to do.co slash DLN and get a $100 free credit from DigitalOcean's app platform. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. I could not be more excited to talk about what's happening with Starlink. To kind of set the stage of the world of internet just here in the United States alone and other places are very similar, if not worse off than the United States. More than 6% of the population, that's 21 million people, have no high-speed internet. In Australia, the figure is 13%. Again, this gets worse in other less developed countries as you go. Having internet is basically at this point a necessity. It's a must. If you don't have an internet, you're probably not going to get a job. You're not going to be able to do as well in school. It's something that people need to have in order to be successful. And despite the fact that many of these ISPs were given over $400 billion in the United States, Verizon, AT&T, CenturyLink, to build out fiber optic future back in 2014 that never showed up. So we've all paid for this in tax dollars, got nothing for it. There's a whole bunch of article out there on Huffington Post about it that talks about all of this information. It's very, very frustrating that not only do we have these type of problems, but nobody's really solving them. Despite the government's attempts to give massive amounts of money to these companies, nothing's actually happening. It's not being built out. But there is a company out there, Starlink, It's trying to do something about it. Well, there's a couple companies actually trying to do something about it, but Starlinks is really fascinating. We're going to get into this technology here and talk about why Starlink's approach to this is so innovative. These new internet satellites that Starlink is utilizing are low orbit satellites, and that means that they're 350 miles above the Earth. Now, Wendy, you had a really interesting experience because you've actually seen these satellites pass by from where you're at, right? Yes, I have. It wasn't in my direct location. We were on our way to go visit my in-laws and they live, well, their house on the quote unquote flat is 63,000 feet above sea level, right? They're, They're pretty high. We were on our way there and there's this line of bright lights in the sky and my husband's like, oh my goodness, what's that? Thankfully, my geekiness, I already knew about this project. And I told him, I bet those are internet satellites. Did a quick search. Yes, absolutely. I have spotted these satellites in Idaho. It was just right. The sun was going down. It was just the right time of day that we were passing through, that the sun was glinting off them. And we watched them kind of pop, pop, pop over the horizon. It was a really cool experience. That is awesome. So to put this in perspective, a typical communication satellite, there's many types of satellites and they all have different orbits. When we talk about low orbit, again, 350 miles above Earth, we talk about something to compare it against like a communication satellite between 12,000 and 20,000 miles up. 
So why does this make a big difference? Well, because it's so much closer, one of the issues with satellites providing internet is that you have this massive amount of latency that ends up happening. And the latency creates not only issues where good luck ever gaming on a satellite-based internet service, but number two, the download speeds and upload speeds are just extremely prohibited. And a lot of that has to do with the fact of how big these satellites are, how expensive they are to launch. You obviously have got a lot of throughput issues. There's a whole bunch of factors of why they're just so inefficient. But that's why people in rural areas generally, while they can have internet service by utilizing something like HughesNet or other satellite providers that are currently out there, they're nowhere near as efficient as a low orbit satellite which can cover the entire Earth and internet, not just one specific area, and provide some really fascinating speeds. I think it's also important before we get into some of the specs of these satellites from a hardware perspective to talk about the fact that many consumers, so we talked about a lot of places where people have no internet connection, but it's even worse when you talk about people only having one ISP choice. I know I've moved, I don't know since I've known you, Michael, like three different times. And each time there is... Yeah. And each time there's only one specific company that serve services that area. Now, of course, you could get the satellite through HughesNet or something like that or DirecTV satellite, whatever they have for that kind of internet. But again, that wouldn't work for the type of applications that I'm utilizing. And so you generally have one ISP to choose from that's actually run service there, which means you do not have a, a true competition when it comes to pricing, when it comes to speeds and things. And these companies know that. That's why In some areas, they'll be charging for uh, 100 megabits per second. They'll be charging $100, and somebody with a gigabit per second is also charged $100. It just depends on that specific area, that ISP. Is there any competition in there? So this is more than just people not having internet, which is bad enough. This is about only having one choice. And something like Starlink means everybody will suddenly have a second ISP choice out there, which is pretty cool. That is awesome. But I I wanted to talk about the the thing that you said about the one choice uh, currently anyway. Uh, That actually, I moved about six, well, four months ago, roughly about four months ago. And I had to get service again in a new place, and obviously. And the funny thing about it is that the place that I moved to prior when I I lived there before, so I used to live in the same city about 10 years ago or so. And at the time, I had a particular uh, company for my cable. And then I get I moved this time, and I had the same company that I previously had where I was. And the reason is because there were two different companies. They had, they had a territorial separation, so you really only had one choice. The only option you had was to move. So when I did move, I realized I don't even have that choice anymore because that one company bought the other one. So there's a single source for this entire county or whatever. And right. that is just, that's another example of like, the, not only they already have one singular choice in that area, they are, they are still allowed to buy each other and make it even worse. I mean, luckily the company I have is not the worst I've ever heard of, but at the same time, it, it is a great example of why this satellite type of thing and having a low, low orbit with like, a lot higher speeds and better latency and that sort of stuff. Like that is a very, very important thing and a very powerful uh, way to create competition. Where being able to create competition over the entire planet, like that's you don't that's even amazing. need to be down to just one option. I live in a rural part of Idaho. My in-laws have one option, but I have more than one. The problem is because of how. Most of the internet is set up in my part of rural Idaho. All of the speeds are really slow and none of it is very stable. So I could go ahead and change internet companies, but it's not going to change my overall speed. It's not really going to change my overall stability. And I'm currently with the quote unquote best company I can go with that has the best overall prices. And I'm still paying a lot more money than I guess overall I'm not going to be paying what Sat or Starlink is right now. I'm paying a little bit less than that, but I'm getting nowhere near the speeds. So the top speed I can currently get at my house right now is 15 down and three up. 
That's Ouch. That's really gig. interesting because the FCC minutes. reports that 118 million U.S. households lack any wired internet choice at a standard of 25 megabytes per second, which your internet service would not qualify for, right? So you're one of the 118 million households lacking a broadband standard of at least 25 megabytes per second. And then 46.1 million households live in areas with just one provider offering speeds of at least 25 megabytes per second. It's it's a real shamble. Right. And I know we have an international audience from around the world, and it's worse in many areas around the world. And that's why services like Starlink are so fascinating versus some of the services I've seen from other companies that are trying to solve this, where they're like, let's float some hot air balloons around. Like, who? What? Seriously? Yeah. Hot air balloons? <laughs> Come on, All the people. internet companies that service this area use internet towers. So I already got a satellite type thing on my roof and it communicates with a tower and a lot of the towers around here are so full of you know different products and antennas for different uses that I have on multiple occasions called my current internet company and said I am getting nothing for speed and they're like ah oh, well it depends on how many things are running I said no I am hardwired into my desktop. I'm using the speed test CLI tool and I'm getting over 200 milliset pings. There is a problem with my service. And they're like, oh, well, everything looks fine on our end. And then they'll take 45 minutes and I have no idea what they're doing. And then my speeds are better again. But I have to do this at least every six weeks. And during that time when my internet isn't working very good, we can't stream a movie. It will not play all the way through. It means our internet is practically nothing. Which my biggest worry is with the two shows that I'm doing, what happens, and in some cases, or at least once it has happened, where my internet has crashed at record time and I wasn't able to be on the show that week or we've had to shuffle around some schedules to make the show that week. And I don't want my work to be affected by is my tower going to connect to my internet properly today? Yeah. In a situation like you, you talk about your work, which is a big concern, but also in a situation with COVID hitting, not only people's work, which they're forced to work from home in a lot of cases and don't have adequate internet, but also situations where kids are at home expected to do schooling and things from home. And so if they go into some schools are open, some are not. But even if the schools are open, they go into quarantine for a few weeks. They have no good Internet at home. Those kids are going to absolutely fall behind in comparison to kids who have access to high speed Internet. So it, it's a major issue. But I'm going to go through the specs now. And I know we're all hardware addicts. So expect geek chills. I, you probably want to sit down even if you have a standing desk at this point because you're going to get geek sweats when I start going through these. It, it's pretty... It's a pretty beautiful thing here. So they weigh just under 600 pounds. So as a comparison, a DirecTV satellite is between two to 6,000 pounds. They yeah. use a single large solar array that comes out to power the satellite, solar powered. Mm -hmm. Includes four powerful antennas for internet transmission. They use freaking lasers that connect each satellite. Freaking lasers. Freaking lasers with four others in the orbit. And they include, no, this is not a Star Trek episode, ion thrusters that use Krypton gas. So Superman himself can't take this out because the Krypton <laughs> would make him sick. I love it. I love it. I, I, yes. they, they had to have done it on purpose to just to call it that, and I love it. <laughs> yes. There are no hey. metahumans taking out this satellite array. <laughs> I love it. We're so geeky. This allows them to stay in orbit longer, even at lower distances from the Earth, because that's the big deal with low orbit satellites is how do you keep them in orbit long enough and that they don't fall out of that orbit and, of course, uh, become just waste and, and garbage out there. And, of course, that's how they're doing that with these. So as of January 27, 2021, SpaceX has launched 1,035 Starlink satellites. They can deploy 60 of these per mission because of that small size. So that size is everything in this case, that being under 600 pounds, that being able to be powered by a single solar array, 
all of this is critical to being able to really productionalize this in mass so that people can actually start using this service. The claim that SpaceX is giving is a latency between 25 milliseconds and 35 milliseconds, and speeds from wow. testers have started coming out around 50 mega megabits per second and 150 megabits per second are reported with it. And again, this is very much in testing. You can set it up as a beta tester, but it gets even better because they are working on getting this to gigabit. It's certainly possible with this. And some people are reporting as high as a gigabit. And I know Elon Musk himself has gone out there and saying that they're capable of this. Now, a HughesNet satellite internet service, which you know, I don't want to put down because honestly, they were the only option for so long out there that anybody would have any access to the internet without them. But it's just the difference in technology here. Download speeds only up to 25 megabits per second and latency. Still better than what I got. At 600 <laughs> milliseconds. So think about that. 600 milliseconds on a HughesNet satellite yeah. versus SpaceX claiming 25 to 35 milliseconds. You can game legit game on 25 to 30 milliseconds of lag you cannot game at 600 milliseconds you will just be right. constantly killed that's like uh, roughly like 200 percent 200 220 times math math is hard thankfully sometimes. my latency isn't that bad what kind of latency are you getting on you know? the day-to-day -day, i am about 60 to 75 milliseconds so this will definitely help in that realm too I'm super excited to test this out. It's been, I don't want to say a slow rollout because, oh my goodness, I think they're doing it way faster than just about any other company could. And it comes down to the specs that you just talked about. Oh my goodness. Right after I found out about SpaceX and they were starting to accept beta testers, I put my name in the hat to be notified when I was able to get service at my location. And just a few days ago, I got the email saying, hey, you can go ahead and get in the queue in order to be a beta tester. So I have put down a down payment in order to become a beta tester. And they say sometime mid to late this year, I might actually have higher speeds with Starlink. Wow, that is super cool. Congratulations on that. I hope you get one so you can come on the show and talk about it be so exciting for me to hear about how this is doing. So they plan 12,000 of these in the sky that they're going to put. And, and again, the falling satellite issues resolved by those onboard thrusters, which can shoot them out of orbit and allow them to burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. Again, they're really small. Uh, and I think that this has, we talked about the internet and the issues with the digital divide that happened with the internet, which is an important issue that we need to resolve, that the government spent billions of dollars trying to resolve. The ISPs really haven't done their part yet, but this could go after everybody. You could, you could, in theory, I don't see any reason why you couldn't run cellular across this entire network of satellites as they put more of these in the sky. They could become your cellular service. They could become your internet provider. You could have cellular service anywhere in the world, and the cost would not change based on where you are in the world, which would be fascinating. Really, anything that we're running digital today, from your television, cellular, internet, could all run across these satellites here. So everyone now has a secondary choice and a very fast one at that. And then you could take it to the next level and think about the countries that have tried to turn off the internet in Myanmar, in North Korea, where there's been threats or they have shut off the internet so the citizens can't get on the internet. If they're protesting the government or other things, you can't just go turn off a bunch of thousands, tens of thousands of satellites out there so your citizens now stay connected, which is very, very powerful. Governments will probably hate it, but citizens will love it. This is so important, I think, for the world. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think that's that's actually not only is it amazing technology that the the change of what it can do for bringing people who don't have access to the Internet, that in itself is an amazing thing to be able to provide such a re a good speed with good latency with, you know, all that stuff to anyone on the planet is just it's mind blowing. I, I you know, we talk about a joke. It's kind of a joke, but it's also kind of true that I'm a hardware Padawan. 
But it, this st- type of technology makes me feel like a four-year-old. Like, it's so complicated. And it's amazing. But at the same time, it's also incredibly exciting. And I don't care if I understand it. That's okay. Uh, because th- just the fact that it's even there is just awesome. And I just want to make a real quick note about the millisecond, like the latency part. You're talking about, like, the latency should be between 25 milliseconds and 35 milliseconds. And just to give, like, context, on my cable connection, I average around 30 to 45. So that is better than what I have. And that's just crazy. Yeah, and it's all thanks to the ability to have these low-orbit satellites here. It it is absolutely amazing. When you said four-year-old, the first thing I thought of is the enthusiasm a kid has and excitement for the world. So I'm okay with the four-year-old, although I know you meant like your understanding of all the technology here. And for all of this, frankly, this is new, right? So actually, what you're saying, I like it better. Therefore, now I meant that. Yes, absolutely. Because that's how (laughs) I feel about this. When I was doing research for this show... I was getting geek chills, literally geek chills, because it just, I thought about all of the possibilities this technology brings to the world. We talk about a connected world, but governments have the ability to filter what they want. Certain citizens can't see things that are going on from an outsider's perspective. Just the ability to provide internet to everyone at a reasonable price. Starlink costs $499 one time right now for the ground hardware and $99 a month for their internet service compared to $150 a month for in some areas for the HughesNet. So it's very reasonably priced. Again, this is not to put down HughesNet. I'm very thankful they had any type of service out there because a lot of people, that's all they have. But you can just see the advancement in technology that's happened here and what this is going to mean for the world, I think is very, very powerful. And this is not a company that's public yet, although there are apparently plans for it to become an IPO in the future. I'm not giving any investment advice, of course, on the show. I have no investment experience that you would want me to share. But to me, this is so exciting. This is definitely a company that I think the public uh, should really get behind for what it's capable of doing. So to the moon, Diamond Hands, Starlink. For sure. And also, while Ryan can't give you any kind of investment advice, I can give you investment advice specifically invest in hardware addicts merchandise at the deal in store.com nice nice that's always it's always going to be worth nice. more in the future yeah yes, totally. i wanted to touch on that first one-time cost with starlink and that not only includes the base hardware to get connected but there is also a router in that package where your initial hardware costs i'm kind of curious as to what that router will be. I have a really nice one. So for me, I was wishing that I could opt out of getting the router, drop that overall hardware price a bit, but it's probably easier for them to just send it all in one bundle with the router included. I'd love to know what that router is. Yeah, that would be interesting. You'll have to let us know when you get one and you know we could take it apart and find out all the parts inside, but I'm guessing they're doing that <laughs> For the safety, or or not the safety, the ease of setup for their customers. Right. And so you've got the router packaged all with the actual box itself, and you don't have to worry about going out there and buying a router and then having to get a bunch of support calls about, why don't I have Wi-Fi and all this stuff So uh, across their homes. But yeah, I agree. I think that's certainly a way they could drop the cost of that one-time fee in the future is by not bundling that or having an option for people who have their own router. Well, and I wonder if it's a higher quality router. I know a lot of people will go to the store and buy just the cheapest possible router they can. So maybe to ensure that everything is the same across the board when troubleshooting things, if you're using the hardware that they sent you, including the router, that it's easier to maybe troubleshoot some of those things because they're not having to go, oh, we fixed all this stuff. None of that is the problem. It's this really low-end router that you bought. Really good point. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's a it's a really good point, especially because it's not just the troubleshoot things. It's also uh, there's a perception aspect to it too. If you were to get this service and you hear it's so good, and wherever you are in like a rural area, and you you compare it to what you had, and it was because your router was terrible and you had a terrible experience, you could actually like have people have a perception of 
Starlink being terrible based on that. So it would make sense that they would provide a fairly good router in that sense. All this is really interesting, but honestly, I was sold when they said ion thrusters and krypton gas. I'll just be honest with everybody here. Same. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentications, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is 100% open source. There are two awesome features like self-hosting and my favorite, the security audits making sure that Bitwarden is keeping your passwords as safe as they possibly can be. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. They also have a premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What do you get with that? One gig of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, Priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of those from our community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. If you're like me though, you'll want to show appreciation to this amazing open source software and sign up for that premium edition that starts at just $10 per year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, I'm really excited for you to demystify the camera menu in these cameras. Talk to us, Impossible. take us into the camera corner and, and teach us, school well, us here. I think you are overselling that because there's no way oh. that I can completely demystify the camera menu. Darn. The downside of camera menus is that it is all very specific to each version of the camera and the brand of the camera. So what I wanted to do this week is just dive into some of those extra features that are possibly in your camera menu and tell you what they are used for. One of my favorite things to dive into in my camera menu is the buttons. Some camera models, especially if you are just off the baseline, or I know Canon has been really good about adding extra buttons to their cameras, so you can use, set them to do additional functions. So on the camera body that I currently have, there's a little teeny button just below the lens on the front of the camera. And there's different things that you can set that to inside of the menu. And what I have chosen, what works best for me, it is a leveler. So if I turn that on, it'll let me know while I'm looking through the viewfinder if my image is level or not. And that is a huge thing for me. I always think I'm level when I'm looking through the viewfinder, get it to my processing or whatever. And so, oh my gosh, that is really off. How did I get it that wonky? And that kind of helps protect me from that. The other thing that you can do inside the button menus on a lot of these cameras is make it so what is typically the shutter button is no longer the shutter button. Why, Wendy? Do you have any idea? No. Why would you want to not have a shutter button? Be oh, the shutter button. I have a shutter button, but do I want to confuse my husband? Yeah, maybe I do. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so when someone picks up my camera for the first time, I have to tell them that, yes, my shutter button will actually take the picture, but it won't focus the image. So if someone picks up my camera and just pushes the shutter button, they're taking a picture of me with my camera, guess what? It won't be in focus <laughs> because using my buttons menu, the back button on top of my camera is actually what focuses the image. So the shutter halfway down will help my camera decide what is the color profile and it'll take the actual image. But if you want to actually focus the picture, you have to push the button in the back. For me, that's the easiest way to have those two things separated. You can play with that and you can only do that by diving into these menus. There's something I want to touch on before I go into another feature. Even though 
they don't sponsor this podcast once again. Creative Live is a great place to go if you have a camera and you want to learn the menus. They typically have a series that details what all the buttons do, take you on a deep dive through the different menus. Once you get that class on that camera, you have it forever. You can constantly go back and reference it. And I think for a lot of people, especially starting out, and one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of touch on what I use some of these features for, there's multiple members of the community and say, hey, I used to just use my phone. I bought a camera. Now I want to help you get it off of manual and start using some of the really fun things that these cameras can do. And that's a great way to learn about your specific camera and your specific menu. Very nice. Now, can it teach me how to change the time on my VCR? No, it's still that is blinking not what those 12. classes are for. Oh. You don't understand, Ryan. <laughs> it's always 12 at all times. Oh, okay. Always 12 at all times. You know, you're making yourself not sound like a very good hardware addict if you can't change the time. Nobody knows how to change the time on a VCR or oven or microwave. (laughs) These are just facts. It's a black hole. Because it's like like camera menus and it's different on each one. No, Exactly. It's a black hole of time. That's what it is. I want to address a couple things you said, like the custom menu stuff or the custom button stuff is really cool. Uh, I messed around with it. Uh, a couple times and, and mess with it, but one of my the thing that freaks me out about my camera is that um, the bottom, the back, there's two custom buttons. One that's just a basic button for that's all it does. There's another one that every time I use it, it freaks me out because the custom button on the back of the of the camera is also the delete button. So pretty oh, much, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a, a little wonky. Even just even though I know that certain interfaces the delete's going to activate and, the, and other times it won't still freaks me out every time but it is worth noting that you were talking about g- going through the menus and just kind of like digging through your particular camera i was so clueless the the second i, I turned on the camera i had no idea what like 80 percent of what the stuff said because it was all using these acronyms and the initialisms and stuff and i didn't know what any of it meant right and like going and finding a Step by step, exactly explaining each item from each each page or whatever. So important to do. It's pretty much impossible to figure it out on your own. I'm I, the the menus are still, you know, kind of difficult. Even once you have a document telling you exactly what's on it, but it's without it, <laughs> it's the twelve o'clock thing. They can over. be very difficult, even within the same family of cameras. So I have currently two different Nikons and because one is a step above the other as far as the functions that it has, the menus are still completely different. Where I use one of them more often, I'm much more comfortable with the menu since I've been using this camera now for a couple years. But every time you get a new camera or when you do upgrade, don't buy the camera and then decide you're just going to go out and use it like you were using the last one. You really need to take some time, go over the features, go over the buttons, go through the menu. And another one of the things that I love in the advanced menus is the timers. The timers are really important for different things. What I use the timers for, the images that I was taking during the summer where the water was flowing, I used the timer on that so I could put the camera on the tripod, get it positioned, make sure that it was solid so I wasn't touching it because any movement that I did to the tripod was going to affect the clarity of that overall image. So anytime I'm taking an image where I'm trying to get a certain look or the timer or anytime the exposure has to run for a very long time, I want to make sure that I'm using a timer. Inside there, you can usually set how long between images, how many pictures it will take in that time. You can, I think I can set mine to up to nine frames to take in that timered section. The last one I want to touch on, and I think a lot of people should be playing with, is the bracketing. For me on my camera, that is E. Not that it helps any of you, but that's what that sub menu is. 
what is bracketing? I know I've talked about it before when touching on landscapes. If I'm taking a landscape image, I want to try to capture it the way I see it. And because my camera is not as sensitive as my eye, there's no way that the sky is going to have that beautiful color and the ground is going to be the right exposure if I take just one image. So inside that bracketing menu, you can tell it, okay, I want you to take the picture at the right exposure here. I want you to take a picture that's this much brighter or this much darker. And you can set what those values are and how much or how many pictures it's going to take brighter and how many pictures it's going to take darker. Doing that automatically in your camera helps keep you from having to touch it and mess with it, allows your tripod to stay stable. So say you're taking that landscape, if you're trying to blend those pictures in together in post-processing, if it moves just a little bit, it's going to throw off you being able to blend those pictures together to get the perfect landscape as you saw it. That is very cool. And you know what I was just thinking back to our Starlink story is that now you could connect your camera, right? And your, or your laptop that you carry with your camera anywhere you go to be able to send your photos from your camera to your computers. And I also want to mention, because we were remiss in mentioning that, what do you think the operating system is that runs on those satellites? I bet it's Linux. It is, in fact, Linux. All of those satellites are Linux, and the software itself was developed by Red Hat that runs in those, which I think is really fascinating. So your Linux laptop with Manjaro on it, you'll be able to connect that to the Linux satellites in space, and you're just going to be Linuxed all over the place. It How means cool I'm is that? going to have to take up becoming a full-time landscape photographer and being able to podcast anywhere I go. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's it. Our 30th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all of the amazing content on the Destination Linux network. That's right. It's an entire network of podcasts like the Satellites in Space. Head to DestinationLinux.network. Check out the amazing podcast, YouTube partners available. There is so much to fill your Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Hardware Addicts, where we go from sitting to standing so we can reach for the stars. Link. <laughs> wow. I love it. <laughs> I love it.